looking at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. So I say to you, hear the word of God. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight, way, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and again, I pray that you would open our eyes where they are blind and our ears where they are deaf. I pray that those who are sleepy in their faith would be awakened. I pray for myself that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things, amen and amen. Well, if this is your first time here, we are into part three, I believe this is, of a series on the book of John. I think this series might take at least a year, if not more. So you're you're in on the ground floor of this series. And up to this point, we have looked at only the first 18 verses of John that we've been calling, that most people call the prologue. Now, why is the prologue so important? Let me ask you this question. And I'm going to ask for some commitment this morning. How many of you, I want to raise your hands, how many of you have, have seen this movie? If you haven't seen it, how many of you at least heard of it so no one feels left out? <laughs> okay. It came out like in the 70s, so you've had plenty of time. Um, if you've seen the movie, this is the, this is the first Star Wars that was filmed, right? The first one they put out. It's actually number four in the series. I don't know what the rest of the numbers are. And for those of you who are Star Wars nerds, if you remember what the title of this one was, it's called Star Wars hyphen a, a new hope, right? Just like our church. And so why do I bring this up? Because if you remember, how did this movie start? I think how do all the Star Wars movies start? They start with this screen crawl, right? This, the, with these yellow letters that are sort of going through the stars. And what that screen crawl does is it gives you a background and a context for the action that's about to start. Because if you just started Star Wars, right, like just into the action, you'd be thinking, what? I don't even know what's going on here. But if you watch that screen crawl, and if you watch it when you, at an age when you can read, actually, you, you realize that all these things are going on, that there's a rebellion and that there's a Death Star, and that this woman, Princess Leah, is utterly important to, to the cause of defeating the, the evil empire. You understand what's going on. Well, the same thing is happening in the Gospel of John. Right? This morning, we're going to start 
um, talking about all the, the, the action that happened in the book of John. And the prologue, it's just like in Star Wars. Is exactly. So imagine the prologue, you know, you're, you're watching the book of John and suddenly chapter one, right? And then it's the word. And then the next thing that comes up in the beginning was the word and it just keeps going. And then you get to verse 19 and bam, that's where things take off. Suddenly you're in the middle of this action. Suddenly you're in this dialogue between religious people and John the Baptist. But if you remember in the first 18 verses, it was about Jesus, but John the Baptist kept coming up. And it would say things like, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. This morning we're going to look at, <laughs> forgot to delete the Death Star there. Basically, we're going to look at three things this morning as we jump in. We're going to be talking about um, the background. We, the, the prologue covers the background and the context, and it gives us a lens for the rest of the book. This morning the action starts, and it starts with this guy, John. And basically, we're going to look at three things. First thing is who John is not. John's a very frustrating person to talk to if you didn't pick that up from listening to me. He's a very frustrating person out of whom to get information. And then also what John is. He tells us what he is. And then finally, where John points. That John's life exists for one reason. It's to point at something. So three things. Who John is not, what John is, and where John points. So let's look first at who John is not. Remember the first few verses here. It says, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So think about the scenario here that you have Israel that is under Roman domination, especially Jerusalem. And in, in Jerusalem, everything is actually pretty cool as long as you don't make the Romans upset. Right? The Romans basically said of the Jews and other religions, you guys can practice your Jewish religion, you can do whatever you want, you can do whatever floats your boat, as long as you don't cause trouble or foment some kind of insurrection, as long as you pay your taxes. So as long as you guys keep everything cool and under the radar, we're fine. Well, suddenly this man shows up, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer probably would be a better way to put it, and he's outside of Jerusalem. He's like in a suburb. And he's basically baptizing people, like loads of people, like lots of people, like so many people that people are coming from Jerusalem out to John to get baptized. And suddenly there's this big movement. So you have this, this weird guy dressed in camel's hair. He eats locusts and honey and he's preaching by the river. He's baptizing people and crowds are just starting to come like crazy. Well, if you're the leadership in Jerusalem, if you're in charge of making sure that nothing bad happens, you're going to begin to wonder, who is this guy? What's going on here? You see, with John the Baptist, for the leaders in Jerusalem, there are political implications and there are theological implications. The political implications is that if he's out there and he's starting to to become like a rabble rouser, um, it's in their best interest to go out and find out who he is, what he's doing, and if he's on the verge of causing some kind of trouble to put him down, right? We know from the crucifixion of Jesus that they're not above putting down someone that they think disagrees with them or is going to cause them any kind of discomfort or trouble. So politically speaking, it behooves them to figure out who John is because the Romans could come down on them and everyone could be hurt. Theologically speaking, the question is, what if he's a prophet? And A, what is he saying? And what if what he's saying is true? And so they send a delegation from Jerusalem to question John. 
right? They go on, on what, you know, like if you watch crime shows like me, they go on like a fishing expedition. They just, they're, they want to ask questions to see if they can get some information out of him. And so they send this thing. Um, and just as a side note, when you hear John say the Jews, right? Oftentimes that's been used over the centuries for sort of anti-Semitic purposes, that the Jews did this and the Jews did that. In the Gospel of John, when he uses the term the Jews, that is a technical term for the religious leaders in Jerusalem who were opposed to Jesus. Right? Remember John chapter 9, the, the parents of the man born blind? They were Jewish, but they, quote, feared the Jews. And by that, that meant that they feared the religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus. So that's, that's what's going on here as well. So notice what happens. Verse 20, they come to him, this delegation of priests and Levites, and ask him, who are you? That's a pretty simple question. In verse 20, he says, he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So verse 20, the first thing John says, they ask him, who are you? And the very first thing he wants them to know is, I am not the Christ. And did you notice awkward wording there? It says he confessed and did not deny, but confessed that he was not the Christ. He, John the Baptist wanted them to have no doubt in their minds whatsoever that he was the Christ. He didn't want his followers to think he was the Christ. He didn't want anyone to think he was the Christ, especially the leadership in Jerusalem. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the coming one. I'm not the Messiah that you've always expected. And they said, okay, fine. Verse 21, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now, why would they ask him about Elijah? If you remember the last verse in the, Old in the Old Testament, in Malachi, verses 4 and 5, it says that in the end, right before Messiah comes, one like Elijah would come, or Elijah would come. And so they're saying, are you Elijah? Are you that guy? Are you the one who comes before the Messiah? Now, it's interesting because John says, no, I'm not on one hand. On the other hand, Jesus says, yes, he is. So who's right? Well, always bet on Jesus, right? <laughs> um, why does John say, no, I am not? And Jesus says, if you're willing to believe it, John was the Elijah. Well, technically speaking, John was not Elijah, right? There, John is like, he's, he's going to, you ask him a question, you have to be very specific. Are you Elijah? No, I am John. And so on one hand, he just may have been being very technical. He may have been being very literal. On the other hand, John may not have known, really, that that was the role he was playing. He just knew he had a job. He had one job, and he was going to do that job. He didn't know that he was the Elijah. Everyone expected that, that was expecting Elijah. Remember, Elijah left in a chariot of fire. Everyone expected that if he ever showed up, he would come back that way. And John's like, not me. That's not who I am. Jesus, on the other hand, says, yeah, he is the guy who comes before me. You need to listen to him. So he might not have understood he was fulfilling his role. Then the third thing they ask him is, are you, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And that's a reference to Deuteronomy 18. Remember Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells them, verse 15, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. You see, they're fishing here because it, it, we tend to think, when we think of like ancient Israel or we think of Judaism, we just think of it as like one monolithic thing. 
Just like when you, if you're Protestant, you tend to think of Catholics as just one monolithic thing. But within Judaism, there were some people that their whole thing was waiting for the Messiah. There were other groups that their whole thing was waiting for Elijah. And there were other groups who were, their whole thing was waiting for this prophet like Moses who would come. And that's what these guys are doing. They're just checking the list. Who are you with? Are you with these guys? Are you with these guys? Are you with these guys? And John says, I'm not the Christ. No, I am not. No. Do you notice how his answers get briefer and briefer and briefer? You, you get the sense that he doesn't like talking to these guys. And so basically, when they get to, to after verse 21, when it says he answered no, these guys, they've exhausted their options. Like John has skunked them, walking down toward where John is, and they're like strategizing with each other. And it's like, okay, Bob, you know, you ask him if he's the Christ, and I'll ask him if he's Moses. You ask him this, and they think that they're that he has three guys, and he's none of them. They're skunked, and so now what do they do? They get desperate. Notice what they say in verse 22, and that leads us to to what John is, and verse 20. 3.22 says, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they, they repeat the question, who are you? But then they remind him or they tell him, we can't go home empty-handed. We have to bring something back to the leaders in Jerusalem. What do you say about yourself? Maybe that'll be a better question. Remember, have you ever seen the movie iRobot with Will Smith? And the whole movie revolves around this this murder mystery plot. And the hologram keeps showing up that will help Will Smith solve the mystery as long as he asks the right questions. And it's very frustrating because he's constantly asking the wrong question. The hologram says, that is the wrong question. And he disappears. Is this the right question? Have they finally asked, who are you? And John doesn't say who he is. He basically says instead what he is. And what is John, when they say, what do you say about yourself? Look at, he says in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. So John basically says that what I read in the call to worship today, that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah chapter 40 said that there would come one who would, who would announce the coming of Messiah, one who would say that he is coming. And so John basically just says, I'm, I'm just a voice. I'm not the one. I'm the one who comes before the one. In some ways, you see John becomes, is very, very humble. You know, there's a, there's a very famous song. It's actually, I think it was made famous, part of it was made famous by Casting Crowns. It was written by the Williams brothers in 1960. They were a black gospel quartet, and basically, I don't know what the name of the song is, but the chorus goes like this, that I, they say, I'm just a, a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who could save anybody, right? I mean, the story revolves around, it's a very, very narrative song where they see a guy who looks like a homeless man, and he's not dressed very well, and he has a big Bible, and he's walking around, and they ask him, who are you? I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who could save anybody. That's what John is saying here. Who are, who are you? What do you say about yourself? I'm just a nobody <laughs> trying to tell everybody about somebody who could save anybody. That's really helpful to them, isn't it? Probably not. <laughs> so they continue. They ask in verse 25, 
Then, then they ask him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Now, what's implicit here in this question is not just then why are you baptizing? What's implicit is then why are you baptizing Jews if you're not Christ or the Elijah or the prophet? You see, in, in the New Te- by the time we get to the New Testament, baptism was very common among Jewish people, but not for Jewish people. In other words, in the, in the Old Testament, and by the time you get to the New Testament, when a, when a Gentile or someone who's not Jewish wanted to become Jewish, all the men had to be circumcised and the whole family had to be baptized because baptism signifies this cleansing ritual or this need to be cleansed from your old Gentile ways or from your sinful ways. And John had come baptizing not just Gentiles, but in fact, John was baptizing Jews. And what is the statement he's making in his baptism of Jewish people? It's basically this. It's in spite of being God's chosen people, in spite of being God's covenant people, you still need to be cleansed from your sins. That just well, Let me put it in our terms. Just because you are a member of a church doesn't mean you don't need Jesus to cleanse you from your sins. Just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that you're good to go. Just because you as a baby or baptized as an adult for that matter doesn't mean you're okay you still need to be cleansed from your sins you still need to have trusted jesus to be born from above to to be called a child of god so john was calling everybody it wasn't just gentiles that needed cleansing but it was gentiles and jews and john's answer look at 26 he says john answered them i baptize with water one you do not know Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Like, I I love how John doesn't even answer them there then. They say, well, then why are you baptizing? And his answer is, I baptize. (laughs) I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Basically, he, he wants to get them off of the subject of his baptism because his baptism is just something that points to the reality of a bigger baptism. In, in other words, he doesn't want them to get wrapped around the axle of what he's doing when what he's doing is really just to point to something else. What he's doing is to, to be a voice to say something else is coming that's bigger than me. Someone else is coming who's more important than me. Someone else's baptism, my baptism is symbolic of you being cleansed from your sins. His baptism will actually cleanse you from your sins. And he actually stands among you right now. Imagine if you were one of the leader, leaders, that one of the delegation, and he said that. What would you do? I... <laughs> Bob, you want to tell me something? What's going on? It, what, like, who, who's, who's going, what's going on here? Who's the deal? John is, is not the Christ. He wants to say that he is a voice, but finally he wants to inform them about where he points. That though everything, nothing in John's mind is about John. In fact, he says that the one who comes after him is so much greater than him that John isn't even worthy to be his slave. That I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Which leads next to where he points. Where does he point? Verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. 
So this statement, believe it or not, this statement among New Testament scholars is very controversial, right? John, it says the next day, everyone, apparently the delegation is still there. The next day, John sees Jesus coming and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And most people, a lot of scholars would say, how could John know that? How could John know that he's the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world when Jesus hasn't even been crucified yet? Well, the answer to them is actually pretty simple, twofold, really. Number one is he probably reads his Bible. In, in other words, the whole Old Testament points to that moment. You've got the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. You've got the sacrificial system where lambs are being sacrificed all the time by priests. You've got the, the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement upon whose sins everyone, all, everyone's sins are laid. And then finally, you've got Isaiah chapter 53, right? The suffering servant. Let me read you what that says about him. Part of what it says, verse 7 of Isaiah 53, it says, He, this servant who would come, Messiah, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this, his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. That's pretty like clear, I think. That when Messiah comes, he will be led like a lamb to the slaughter and he will be stricken for the transgressions of his people. John says, that's the guy. The word behold means simply in Greek, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, on one hand, it's, we sort of think, wow, why didn't everyone just embrace Jesus right then? Uh, on the other hand, you think if, if there was a big crowd and it would be hard to hear, probably some people didn't even hear it that well. But the fact is, is we get to hear it. Where does John point? John points only one place, and the place that John points is to Jesus and him only. The second way that that John knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God, if John was a prophet, that meant that God revealed things to him, that he didn't reveal to other people, knew things. And so God must, must, may have just revealed to John that when you see Messiah, when you know, you'll know it's him, and this is the one who will take away the sins of the world. Now, How did John know? Well, notice the primary purpose of his baptism. Now he tells them why he's baptizing. Verse 31, he says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. You know, I've preached about John's baptism a a number of times over the years, mostly from the other Gospels. And in the other Gospels, the baptism, when you preach it, when you study it, it's more about Jesus' identification with sinners, right? That, that sinners are getting into the water and being baptized, and Jesus identifies with them and gets into the water and is baptized. John doesn't say that. When you hear it straight from John's mouth, John says, the primary purpose of my baptism was to reveal him. The reason I came out here baptizing was, yeah, it was to gather people, and it was to go through the, this thing of, of people being cleansed and being prepared for the Lord to come. But the main reason that I came is so that him, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. Well, how would you know that he was the one, John, John tells us? He says, verse 32, and John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, 
how does John know that Jesus is Messiah? He knows Jesus is Messiah because God tells him, you'll know it's Messiah when you're baptizing and the one on whom the Holy Spirit descends and the one on whom the Holy Spirit remains. Now, it says the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. We don't know if it was a dove or what that means or how John knew. But what John does know is that he very clearly saw the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus and remain upon Jesus. And he says of Jesus that that basically his baptism is with the Holy Spirit. His baptism can accomplish what my baptism could only dream of. Right? My baptism will point you to your need for cleanliness. My baptism will point you uh, to your need for a new heart. His baptism will actually clean your heart. His baptism will actually open your eyes. His baptism will actually take your heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. And then I love the way John finishes here because he basically tells them he's finished. Verse 34, he says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Full stop. In other words, he basically says, I saw what I saw, and I have borne witness to it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's all you need to know about me, is that my job is to point to him, and I have pointed to him. Any more questions? Ask him. And what's interesting is that what John does here is actually consistent with the whole gospel of John. Remember the purpose John said about the gospel was he, he said, I write these things so that you may believe and believing, knowing that Jesus is Christ, you might have life in his name. Well, the, the, what you see in the, in the gospel of John is a consistent pattern where you see Jesus arguing with self-righteous religious people about who he is, but not Jesus followers arguing with self-righteous religious people about who he is. And by the way, self-righteous pe- religious people who are liberal and self-righteous li- religious people who are conservative Jesus argues with them. Jesus engages them. But what is the job throughout the whole of John's gospel of those who would follow Jesus? It's simply to bear witness and to give testimony. To bear witness and to share testimony. If you go through the gospel of John, it's all about, it's, it's about pointing to Jesus. John just gives us sort of this paradigm up front. The very next thing we're going to look at, Peter and Andrew, they go to Peter and say, we've, come, we've found the Messiah. Come on. Come and see. They don't argue with him. They go to Philip and Nathaniel, right? Hey, we found the Messiah. Can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth? Just come and see. The woman at the well, remember? Her life is completely transformed. And she goes back to her village, and she doesn't say, let me tell you all the things about this Messiah, and let me give you all the proofs from the Bible about why he is the way he is and what he does. She goes back and says, come and see. Let me come and see this man who told me everything about myself. And their testimony. Remember the man born blind? That's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. The man born blind, the, the, the Jews go to him and say, tell us, is he the Messiah? You know, And they ask him all these theological questions. And what does he say? I don't know. He says, here's what I can tell you. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, that is much more powerful than trying to argue with someone all the time. And the Gospel of John says, gives us these examples over and over. Come and see, come and see, come and see. Here's what Jesus did to me. One of the things, many of you know, I have a, I have a strange background, right? I was in the army, and I was a sales rep at a drug company. And a question I'm often asked is, how did you become a preacher? How did you become a preacher? That's odd. 
In fact, when, when I meet rangers and they say, how'd you become a preacher? Usually their cuss words precede that. And I can't tell them how I became a preacher unless I tell them how I became a Christian. I, one night, I went to a camp, never went to church, and someone talked about sin, and they talked about God's holiness, and they said, good night, kids. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I walked out, and someone said, what would you think of the talk tonight? And forgive my language, but I told the guy, I said, I think I'm screwed. I got nothing. And he told me about Jesus that night. And everything changed. I asked Jesus to forgive me, and and that set me on the trajectory to put me where I am right now. That's all you got to do. So I I don't often do this, but I'm going to give you homework this week. Homework is basically just this. If you're a Christian, ask yourself, when is the last time I shared my testimony with anybody? When is the last time I just told somebody, you know, here's how I became a Christian. Or or, or when is the last time I put myself in a position that someone would ask me? And if you've never done that, have you ever written it out? Can you write out a paragraph this week as to how you became a Christian? If you're a parent, write that out maybe and share it with your children. Have your children ever heard your testimony? They should. It's the most powerful thing you have because what your testimony does is point to the work of Jesus in your life. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would continue to work in us and through us as we work through the Gospel of John and that we see Jesus uh, in all of his glory, but we also see that our role is to do nothing but point to him, that the, that the greatest thing we can do for, by way of evangelism and sharing the Gospel and spreading it is simply to bear witness, to bear testimony, and to point to Jesus as the one who has done the work. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen.